0: Hello guys, welcome to episode number eight of the Wisdom Addicts podcast, a podcast where we help you travel into a new mindset through life experiences, books, and wisdom passed on by the great that have done great. And in this episode, I have the honor to interview a long, long time friend from times of being middle school and high school soccer players when we still thought that being a professional athlete was the main dream and main aspiration, my friend Alan Arbelo. Alan Arbelo is a senior data engineer, and he would describe himself as a futurist, reader, and writer. And Alan is an energy engineer with master's in smart electrical networks and data science. And today, we have a very interesting conversation ahead because Alan has lived through being in the corporate world since 2017, since he finished his master's. He has ventured into the freelance world, into Bitcoin, into studying the macro economy, and obviously most importantly, the wisdom he has gained from it. So we have a very interesting conversation guys ahead and I hope it is of tremendous value to those looking to improve their personal finances, start their freelance journey, taking the leap into making bold decisions in your life and Alan at your very young age you're someone that has lived in different countries that has really embarked on a a journey of constant personal and professional growth that I am very intrigued just to know how would you put on your own words your personal journey and motivations
1: yeah for sure um well, thanks. Thanks for the kind words, Fedeham. I definitely do try to to maintain myself, always learning new stuff. Um, I think that you know, from very young age, I, I realized that I liked learning. Um, you know, my parents my parents pushed me very hard, but indeed, I kind of liked to to get good grades at school, and I and I figured that it was because I really enjoyed the learning process by itself, not necessarily the, the academic part of it, but more like me reading and understanding history, science and the like. So for for a long time, I, I tried hard to develop a reading habit. And when I was in Stockholm 2017, January 2017, I started reading one book every month. I kind of happened randomly. I just grabbed one book. Uh, it's Zero to One by Peter Thiel. It's about the future startups and business. and uh, I read it, I read it, I read it um, page to page, cover to cover. and and I decided that I was going to read one book every month since then, and it's been for for years, almost five, and I don't know, sixty, seventy books. And, and yeah, it has changed my life from nutrition to fitness to sleep. Personal finance, macroeconomics, coding, uh, social sciences. I read a lot of uh, a lot of varied topics, uh, mostly nonfiction. I do see the value in reading fiction, uh, and I've read a couple of fiction books, but it's mostly nonfiction.
0: Indeed, the <clears throat> the reading habit is something that transforms your life because when we're in school. We are taught how to read, but when the, when we develop the habit of reading, we learn why and what to read. And I think there is a very big difference because, because it's not the same to read with the motive of getting a grade or passing a class or just you know getting a punctuation, getting a number, getting a result out of what you read, rather than developing the habit of consuming knowledge. And as the famous saying says, it's not knowledge is power, but applied knowledge is power. So how Ellen, you said you already told us how your reading habit started, why your reading habits started. So tell me a little bit more of how how do you consume books? Because if you're someone that reads so much. That you read at least one book a month. So, what do you do? Do you read one book at a time? Do you take notes? Do you look at videos and references of the book? What do you do to grasp on as much information as you can as you read? Hmm, good question.
1: Uh, yeah, let me let me add on a little bit on on what you said uh, before I answer the question. Um, yeah, I do definitely agree. It's it's different when you read because you're you're. You're assigned a reading from school that that when you read now this age you read only for personal growth. Uh, indeed the the motive is more genuine and the the motivation is just to change my life. Like I I wanted to handle my money better and I started reading about that. I wanted to learn how to code and I started reading about that. So it it's indeed easier to apply because you already know what what's the area of your life that you that you wanna they wanna focus on. So in terms of it's of my let's say the logistics of it and how I manage to to retain all of the information, first um, I, I have a Kindle. Um, I, I read electronically, and there's a it's a big dilemma on whether physical books rather than digital books. I, I, to me, the the benefits far outweigh the cost. Right, um, portable. You can have fifty books on it. You can carry it wherever you want. Uh, you you it has a little light on it, so you can read in any type of environment, low light environment, and such. So I read digitally, I don't consume audiobooks. I feel that I get distracted and I don't pay enough attention. And um I don't take notes per se, but I do uh, do highlights and do highlights in the same same device. I highlight them, and I try to go back to those highlights. I try to tweet around those highlights and I write. My newsletter also um, from those highlights. So, so yeah, that's what I do. I'm not I don't read two books at the same time. And um, and I and to choose the books, I try to really, really like understand what is in my head at that time. Like, what is, what am I questioning myself about? What do I want to improve? What is bothering me? What is those like? topics or areas that keep coming back to my head you know
0: that a lot of people are are not really fond of the habit of reading just because they usually say oh i can't finish a book oh i um, i get bored oh it's too long but i think that for you to become a reader you first have to change your mindset around reading and as you said you wanted to learn about finance you started reading books on finance you wanted to read or sorry, you wanted to learn about improving your nutrition, so you started reading books on nutrition. And I think once you grasp on that habit, that's really when you become a reader. That's really when you read with a purpose. You enjoy reading. You plan your day around reading, and it's not oh yeah, I buy a book and then just leave it in in the back of my car or the back of my office and then just wait for time to come when I actually have time or I want to read. No, I think reading is a habit. So. Um, jumping into a next question. I've been and I've seen a lot of people just like you that have embarked on a topic and just after a couple months of learning about it, they actually apply it into their day-to-day. And I would like, as you said before, coding. Coding is really a skill that's being taught to kids in kindergarten around the world. It's really something that is becoming more part of our day-to-day in terms of those basic skills that are being used by humans. So Alan, what motivated you to learn coding? How did you learn? And most importantly, why did you learn um, that skill?
1: Um, Yeah, for sure. It's um, super important. I think it was around the same time when I was in Stockholm, I sometimes wonder uh, how can I replicate those conditions? Because I picked up two really good habits at the time, reading and coding. Um, I, I was discontent with the masters that I was doing it was very old-fashioned it was focusing it was the smart uh, networks one and it was focusing on like physical hardware of of, of electrical grids so like transformers like electrical cables switches and, and I was like looking around myself and I was like and, and I realized that uh, all the value that was being created in the world, all the big value was being created digitally. This was 2016, 2017, like Facebook, Google, the big tech, cell phones, computers, like, you know, the world, I felt that my masters was very disconnected from the future and I think I was right. So, you know, I consider myself to be a relatively smart person and like I'm, I was, I'm young, I was young, I was even younger then. I figured it was, a, it, was a, it was a worthy investment. So I just started watching YouTube videos like crazy. All the information is online um, and it's online for free or for dirt cheap. So I like just blocked myself, uh, stopped going to classes and spent, I, I remember it was April, Whole, most of April just waking up and learning how to code, watching YouTube videos, doing um, online courses like Udemy, Udacity, um, Treehouse was one of them. Online classes uh, for for very little for very cheap and I just whole month was just coding there. I Remember that when I when I got out of the of the zone, it was it was beginning of May and I had like homework and, and I, w- I was failing basically all my classes <laughs> because I completely disconnected from the university. Um, and this was you know in in college I was like a grade A student so this was like a different different situation than ever been on. But I. I figured I was just so disconnected and so enthused by by um, technology and by the ability to learn by yourself and by reading that i that I figured that this was this was the way and, and, and not the traditional education path.
0: indeed. And uh, Alan, have you been able to monetize your skills as a coder? Have you been able to pick up clients in the world of coding because um, I am a very big supporter, and I believe that if you learn a skill, you either have to pass it forward or make sure that you find a way for it to be practical in your day-to-day. So have you found ways to really um, monetize or just pass the knowledge on with, with coding, knowing that um, you have your all of your knowledge and you know, ex-corporate jobs and actual freelance jobs in, um, in engineering, but are you um, creating any side hustle or passive income out of your coding abilities or if yeah, you don't yeah. do you plan to in the future sorry to interrupt
1: no no totally uh I, I do for the in fact um every every single cent i have made in in my life i've made it through coding related activi- activities um i uh, you know my father has a crack at this because he he did help me Pay for high school, of course, and, and college, a part of it, and and I never, never really like got a job uh, by being an energy or an electrical engineer. But right after, right after that that experience, I got my first internship as a as a as a, senior, as a junior intern data scientist, and ever since I've been making money as a I've been working in the corporate world and also as a as a freelance and and consultant. Uh, because of my coding skills. So, so I, it, it's, complete, it's, it's definitely something that I monetize to the point that I have only been monetizing this for, for the past five years. I've had uh, three or four um, corporate jobs and I have also um, had uh, five or six uh, freelancers slash consulting gigs where, where I interface directly with a client and this is all pure coding.
0: Oh, wow. So you're saying, Alan, that that month that you were locked up in in, in your room in Stockholm, which I remember uh, visiting plain December, it was too cold to be alive. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, you're literally saying that that month, month and a half that you locked yourself up, you opened and you took all those courses were literally was literally the knowledge that has determined your career path in the last five years. Yes, but of course, it was not only one month, right? That
1: was the first month, the initial (laughs) month that I deep dived. But ever since, I have been continuing to learn this, right? So I think that was April 2017, where I did the the full dive. And then I continued learning for the next, um, heavily, heavily for three or four months after it. So up until August or September. And I think in late September, beginning of um, October, I got my first internship there in, in Barcelona. And I started getting getting money for for coding, and I just had like five, six months of of experience. Of course, it was not a lot of money, it was an internship, but it was was what I needed and what I was able to to produce at then. and then that internship led to a job, and that took me uh, you know on this five six six years path and and I've been learning and, and switching technologies and switching um, uh, code uh, programming languages and, and different stacks of the of the technology product uh, infrastructure but but yeah so it's a continuous learning process just as in life just as with reading you, you you know you have always have to be there's always stuff to learn i don't i don't i don't know you know you you, you need to know what you don't know and i don't know a lot of it yet but I, but i know enough to 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 be able to make a living out of it
0: Wow, brother, I I applaud you because a lot of a lot of us, we whenever we learn something new, we feel that we're not prepared. And the feeling of not being prepared limits us in terms of the action that we take towards monetizing that skill. I'm not saying that you should go out in the world and try to be an architect if you barely know the fundamentals, but I'm saying that if you have a gut feeling towards learning about something and then going out in the world and applying the knowledge and learning more by experience. I think that's really when you get to a point four or five years down the road when you say, wow, look at where this led me. And I think that is when you have the conviction that you are generally interested in a topic and you have an ulterior motive like your motive for learning just as you said you have always been interested in technology and just look at how you dove deep into it and look at where it's taking you man so really glad to um to see that you have been able not only to monetize but to make a living which are two different two different things and just going into into my uh, my next question alan i know that the pandemic really hit all of us hard and whoever did not have savings was severely affected, whoever had one source of income and lost that source of income was severely affected and deteriorated in terms of their finances. And people like us, our age, um, we are just getting to a point where our finances are taking more and more um, presence in our our day-to-day and in our financial and just you know, decisions of of what next step we want to take. So I know that you started investing in Bitcoin many years ago and you didn't really know anything. And after the pan, or during the pandemic, losing your job, losing your your source of income, which happened to many, you saw how the value of Bitcoin literally, how you say it in English, it multiplied by by five, was it? Quadrupled or, or quintupled, I believe exactly and you saw how from being decapitalized you saw your net worth and your savings come come up again in value because of that initial investment you did in bitcoin and as in this in this podcast we really try to incite our listeners to explore different ways of investing their money into improving their personal finances so alan how was that journey from from when the pandemic started and you saw the value of Bitcoin, what what actions did it make you do in terms of self-educating yourself, learning about the economy in general? And not as many people do that they invest in things like Bitcoin, but they only know the shallow end of it. They only learn about the things they see on social media, the trends, but they don't really go deep into reading the books, you know really hearing and listening to the people that know about these topics in a more experienced manner.
1: Uh totally yeah um <laughs> good intro let me let me go step back and tell the story to your audience so they so they can get the full picture. Um I a cousin of mine told me about bitcoin in 2017. Uh, it was around like three hundred bucks back then, but I was broke. I was in I was a student. I was in Stockholm. I didn't have like an extra three hundred dollars to to throw around and invest. so i just I just didn't buy. Um, I, I had to I had other things to to pay but I, like I, I I came in contact with the technology then. And as a technologist that that I consider myself, I watched a couple of videos, read a little about it, and I was like, huh. Yeah, this might be interesting. This has has some sense to it, but you know, very shallowly. I I, I looked over it. Uh, didn't dedicate enough hours. Um, move, moving forward, I uh, you know had my coding, got my jobs. Twenty nineteen, I had a couple extra dollars, and I decided, well, uh, let me let me invest. Let me allocate this, and I went, of course, with the traditional financial literature. Uh, what's traditionally recommended, which is that you allocate a 60 40 portfolio, 60% of stocks, uh, stocks on, on companies. Um, and, and those stocks, you know, what's even more recommended is that if you're not a financial person that is going to be studying the markets for long, you invest in index funds, which are just um, agglomerations of companies, right? It's like buying the whole market. The market tends to increase over time generally. So you buy 500 companies and therefore, most of them are going to do good. And you, are, you, know, you have a lot of risk protection. And then the other 40% in bonds. So I was doing that, but then I remembered about Bitcoin and, and I was like, mm, let, me, let, me, let me buy one, one of these guys. They were, they were like 5,000, 3,000 or something at, at that time. And fast forward to 2020, um, uh, I lost my job, I, I had my freelancing business and I was hustling, getting clients and I had a couple of clients, but you know, I was in New York uh, at that time. My rent was huge, my, my living expenses were insane. I was, of course, lit, um, uh, funding myself partially through my savings as well. So I saw how by the end of the year, my my savings were basically going to zero and I had to jump back. Into the into the corporate world, but uh, all of a sudden, uh, by the end of 2020, Bitcoin also quintupled or or quadrupled from I believe like nine thousand to like thirty or forty thousand, and I was like, "What the hell is this? What is this asset that I own? What is going on underneath it?" And there is that I um, really, really started like understanding it and looking into it and understanding what is money, understanding the dollar, understanding the traditional financial system, understanding inflation. I went on a trip of like eight or 10 months, almost a year of just reading about macroeconomic, macroeconomy, economic policy, monetary history, um, the, the properties of money, and and now I'm like coming out of this uh, tunnel that I dug myself into, just understanding um, the macro environment in general and what role Bitcoin plays in it. And I have zero, I mean, zero, zero doubt that Bitcoin is going to continue to appreciate itself as it has, right? Started at a couple cents, started at less than a dollar. It has gone to 60,000 uh, as we speak. And I don't see why it cannot add uh, another five zeros to it to be 6 million, 60 million and, and further.
0: I think that the, the decentralized ecosystem is here to stay. I think there is no doubt about it. We could already start seeing patterns at the, at the beginning of the century with just, just how you and I, that we were born mid-90s, we were the generation that saw technology evolve at such a rapid pace that I just think that the snowball effect of technology, of of AI, of what blockchain technology is, I just think, man, and I totally agree that there's no going back. There's really no no going back. And uh, Alan, talking about the macroeconomy, me being a management student, I took the typical microeconomy, macroeconomy class. And to be honest, What I remember is very little just because they don't they don't emphasize enough on the importance of teaching people that go through the traditional education system about that because they think they are not affected by it. But when inflation hits when governments make decisions that literally change policies that affect your day to day when your purchasing power decreases, like there's things we don't understand until they affect us. And that's why I applaud that you use your time to really learn more about Bitcoin because I think once you start learning more about things like Bitcoin, you really it's really it's like you have no choice but to understand the economy. And I think that whoever understand, understands the economy has an edge not only in the assets they own, but in the decisions they make how they perceive the present, how they prepare for the future, and diving a little into the, into the technical aspect of it. Alan, right now, governments control our money and we know what governments do. We, we know that they necessarily have not made financial decisions that have made the world progress in the way that it should be progressing. So our governments, Really broke? Are they? Are governments really running on deficits? And and what's your your perspective on that?
1: Sure. Yeah, that is that's a good question, and I think that's really you know a good starting point to start to explain the whole macro environment right now because it's it's a lot, it's complex. But I think this is this is the first step that uh, that people need to understand, right? Um, If you think about it, the as it started, the government is supposed to be no different than a company in the sense that we organize ourselves as societies because there are benefits to being, um, to being agglomerated. There are benefits to working in community. There's trade, there's commerce, there's specialization. And we assigned so- a few of us to take care of things that are of public interest and public public benefit, right? Let's say education, let's say protection from other nations, let's say um, building roads that go through different cities. So in that sense, um, the government should follow our necessities and follow our needs and do its best job to fulfill our needs as societies. When it gets really twisted is when governments, um, let's say, do not run as companies in the sense that they do and they do and they do and they do and they do, and doesn't matter how much money they spend, they never go broke. Right, so if, if there were companies, they would go broke. Right. We said if a company spends more than it generates, that company fails. But governments do not fail in this way because they have control of the money supply. They control the money. The Dominican uh, government controls the Dominican peso and the US government controls the dollar. And every other developed nation or every other nation, even underdeveloped, uh, has the government has control of the, of the money. That allows the government to spend more than it generates. And that creates really, really, really uh, twisted repercussions, twisted and far reaching repercussions to any to everybody. Because what happens is that governments are allowed to get in debt and they are, and, and in order to get out of that debt, they sell bonds and um, basically they erode the purchasing power of the money that everybody is holding to be able to pay off their debts. Um, let, me, let, me, let me try to restate that because that's important. they get in debt, they print more money and they pay that debt. Now that creates uh, the phenomenon that is called as inflation, right? The, the creation of money out of thin air, the creation of new money um, devalues the all the other money in the economy you can think of it as um, as if you have let's say um, let's say you have five marbles and th- those marbles fit in in five holes well let's say let's say you have five five marbles and you, ha- you have five a community of five people th- those pe- those five people work for for those five marbles and the amount of work that they produce allows them the amount of work they produce is is now is equivalent to the value of those five marbles but if you create more marbles, more marbles out of air and, and these people are still producing the same work then the denominator is bigger therefore the value it's uh, it's deteriorated right this new extra marble now has to now you have to divide the work of the five people over six or over seven or over the ten, and therefore you're twisting you're twisting the, the value of money and you're basically um, you're basically stealing purchasing power now those marbles don't buy the same things in the economy and, the, and inflation in all the economic books is essentially called a, a hidden tax the invisible tax so macroeconomists do know that they are stealing purchasing power from the people. They're taxing us without us realizing that they're taxing us.
0: Alan, and I think you put a great explanation there with marbles and it's basically to put it in a plain view, if you have $10 in the bank, those $10, are losing a yearly value of 3 to 5%. Correct me if I'm wrong. So basically your $10 today, next year, they'll be worth $9.5. So literally the more money that's being printed. So every time they have sent out, at least in the US, a stimulus check every time they have used money to pay external debt, every time they are investing in military equipment. All this money is literally being printed out of thin air. So that affects us, that affects the consumer. And I would like to, to ask you, Alan, what would what you say are things that are exempt of inflation or are least affected by inflation say in terms of if i have $10 in the bank and it's losing 5 to 6 dollars per year for inflation where is my mo- my money today mostly safe or at least less impacted by inflation as we know that prices will keep increasing we know that that really now is that we're going to start seeing the effects of inflation in our in our day to day yeah, so
1: um, let me let me like uh, first before answering, uh, give that you know put that example with ten dollars. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be good, right? Your ten dollars represent a percentage of all the dollars in circulation, right? It's a, let's say it represents uh, a very small fraction as it does, but it represents a fraction of all the total dollars in supply. Uh, which are what people all, all the, for example, all the U.S. citizens wake up to every morning to go and get, right? Everybody goes to work and they try to hustle for, money, for, for a, a fraction of these, of these dollars. When they print money out of nothing, which is what they've been doing since 1971 uh, or, or much, uh, much, much uh, earlier than that, but when they print money out of thin air, they increase the amount of dollars available. And what, it, that, what that does is that now your $10 represent an even smaller fraction of all the dollars in the supply. And because it represents a smaller fraction, then they have an equivalent of a service of a product that is smaller. The, it shrank the amount of things that you can buy with it. Um, so, so back to your question, what are the things are, that are immune to, to this? um well debt so so before talking about assets that people can can buy of course you can buy you can buy um you know you can buy gold you can buy silver anything that's outside of of the money supply anything that's an alternative to money will will be immune to this to the inflation of course other fiat currencies fiat just being government issued money um are also on the same um, inflationary environment, so it wouldn't help that you buy euros or that you buy the Chinese yuan's or um, or, or pounds uh, to, to, get, to get away from inflation, because the UK, um, the eurozone, and and Chinese government are also printing away their printing away uh, new cash for for from thin air. Uh, but but an interesting thing um, to mention is that in the same way that inflation erodes the purchasing power of your savings when those savings are in dollar-denominated assets, whether they're just dollars in your bank account or they're bonds or whatever, uh, inflation also devalues your debt. So for example, if you own... U.S. dollars to a bank. Let's say you buy a house, you own uh, hundred thousand dollars for that house. Um, when when, infl- when inflation hits, and you know a month ago by, a month go by, and a year ago by, your the the real value of that debt has shrunk because now you're going to pay that debt with future dollars, and future dollars are devalued because of the nature of inflation. So. You lose on your savings, but you, you're able to gain because your debt, um, is the real value of your debt is reduced.
0: Alan, would you say that, um, just as you said, that obviously the, the price of money is decreasing the value of it and also your debt decreases, would you say that investing your money in real estate is a good, decision right now because let's say if I buy a house and I know that inflation is going to keep going up then the debt that I acquire or that mortgage that I acquire knowing that it would be worth less in the future do you think it's a safe bet right now to to invest money into an asset like like real estate or is it better at least than just leaving it in a bank depreciating in value
1: uh good question fede Um the the answer to the last question is yes it's hundred percent you're you're protecting your wealth in this inflationary environment by buying a house instead of leaving that cash in the bank yes of course you know these are financial decisions and there are different uh, different circumstances and, and everybody's goals are different and this is not financial advice but to my humble opinion Uh, Right now, it is a good move to getting debt to buy a house um, if you have money just staying in the back. And in fact, I did that. I did that a couple months ago. I purchased a property and I put 5% down only. Because I wanted the debt to be as big as possible. Because I wanted the debt to erode itself with inflation. So at least you guys know that I'm putting my money where my mouth is uh, with with all these um, <laughs> all these theories.
0: Alan, and where uh, where did you buy the property? Because I I know that a lot of our listeners they're about to hit a very cold winter.
1: Yeah, I, I bought it in uh, in Florida. Actually, I'm right now in Punta Cana, but uh, but, the, but the property is in is in Florida. And, um, and, and real estate is, is interesting, Fede, because real estate, you see people, people always say that the value of ha- the price of houses is going up, right? A couple of years ago, you could buy a decent house for 100,000, now any apartment's gonna cost you $300,000. Um, and it's it's actually the dollar that's being devaluing itself, uh, rather than the house that is going up in value. The houses are are much the same, much the same as the houses in the past. The houses have not evolved significantly. A house uh, in the previous decade provided the same av- value to its owner, a place to live, shelter, a roof um, that it provides today. It's just that the the units that we use to denominate the value of the house is the value in itself therefore the the value of the house as compared to the unit is now higher that's the price of it but it's not it's not a, it's the is the is the the tool that we use to measure the value that is uh, going down not not that the house is
0: going up wow and Alan, what are your what are your plans with that house do you plan to uh, rented forward as a real estate or investment, or do you plan to live in it? What are your your future plans with that with that asset? And obviously, being such a big financial decision to take at at your young age.
1: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's rented. It's rented right now. Um, uh, p- people are living there. They're paying the rent. With the rent, I I pay the the mortgage, the the loan that I have. And in the future, I foresee that you know I'm going to pay that. I'm going to continue to pay that um, that loan with the future dollars that are going to be devalued, and even more that you know the the if inflation continues to increase, which I believe that's going to continue to increase, um, the rent that the tenants pay in that house is going to increase because all of the prices of everything are going to increase around it: food, transportation. Therefore I'll have to increase the rent and, and I'm going to be able to, to pay that off pretty pretty easily. And this is like, I'm not a genius or anything. I just read this. I read this in a book. It happened in the 1970s, was it in the US? Um, yeah, 70s. There was huge inflation in the 70s, actually double digit inflation. It, it went up all the way to 10% more. And that's the reported inflation It's called the CPI, Consumer Price Index, Um, and it was 10% or so, it got to 10% or so um, in the U.S. uh, around the 70s, and they managed to bring it back down, but the people in the U.S. that bought a house in the beginning or in the late 60s, beginning of 70s, they actually were able to pay that house over 30 years with very, very devalued dollars, and they, you know, they, they, had, a, they had a good deal around it. And I just read that, and out of that, I got the idea to do something, something similar in this environment.
0: There we go, guys. The power of reading books. There's YouTube, there's so much visual content out there, but as someone that just like you, man, reads a lot, and I think that the books that we have recommended each other have been books that you don't really recommend to everyone because you know those are books that if you don't have the habit of reading you really don't understand Um, like the book on one of the biggest financial crises that our country went through in in the early 2000s and so you're basically what you're saying Alan is that comparing it to the trend that happened in the early 70s you basically are mimicking that inflation at that time was really high, and knowing that inflation was eventually going to come down, you are you're gonna pay that debt based on your um debt and debt and money that is eroding in value, right? Yeah, totally.
1: Um the debt is my my debt has a fixed interest rate, and and um in the future, so so let's say. Um, I have to pay $2,000 um, a month to, for the loan. Um, in 10 years, $2,000 are not going to be that much, right? Like $2,000 now can get you, let's say, whatever $2,000 can get you now, it won't be able to get you that same amount of things in the future. So it will have less value. So it would, it would be more, it would get closer to pocket change, um, if I may. And this makes sense because you see the prices of gas going up and you see the prices of food going up. And it doesn't have to be this way is what I learned on on this journey, right? The prices of everything increase because there is um, irresponsible operations because the government operates irresponsibly. The government operates on a deficit. It operates with a negative balance sheet that is that is insane because what the instead of going bankrupt, which they should because if they're if they're if they're negative, they should come up and say, hey, uh, we, we, we cannot continue. We're we're in debt. What do we do? What they do is that they print more money out of thin air, knowing that this actually reduces the purchasing power of everybody else. And and more to that, it is actually a regressive tax, which means that it affects the people that have the least the most. Why is that? You would ask yourself, well, the people that have the least live paycheck to paycheck and typically have just a, couple, a few thousand dollars in the bank and do not have assets like properties, like stocks, like, uh, like all the things that go up in price when inflation goes up, right? So the rich people have, let's say 10 properties and they bought those ten properties for 100,000 and now they're worth uh, 300,000. So in, in paper, like, you know, in paper they have gained 200,000 in, in value, right? Their, their wealth has triplicated, triplicated in that sense. And that's good because now when when they go out, they they're charged more at the restaurant, but they also have an asset that's worth more, so they kind of balance it out. But the people that don't have properties that don't benefit for for the don't don't benefit from the appreciation of their assets because they don't have any assets. Uh, those people suffer the most uh, with inflation.
0: Well, man, you're you're throwing out some some facts out here brother and uh, that's why uh, i was really interested in bringing you here because i i always knew that you were very fond of learning about the economy and just being one step ahead in terms of your financial decisions because if you had the will to learn something as complex as coding and make a living off it and you know buy a house um Really withstand the, the regression of the economy and pull yourself out there and not just fail or mentally fail and say, "Oh yeah, COVID came, I'm just going to stop going after my goals and stop, um, you know, investing in, in my personal development." And one last question Alan about, about terms of macroeconomy and just going into the next topic. What, what role, as you said earlier? what role does Bitcoin actually play in the macro economy?
1: Uh, yeah, so back to Bitcoin, Ian. What role does it play? There's so much to cut here, but um, Bitcoin is a, a new asset, a new form of an asset actually right it's its own category it's a digital asset we had never had digital assets in the past uh, we've had the internet for 20 25 years but never before we were able to create the digital asset because um, in the digital world we were always able to clone things right we were always able to copy paste and there is no value you cannot have value if you have infinite abundance in the sense that if you have a picture and I can copy paste that picture, I don't have to buy it from you. <laughs> there, there can be a thousand, fa- I can literally make in a couple of minutes, a thousand of those pictures. So why would I even buy that picture from you? But uh, the whole, the advent of the blockchain technology uh, was created precisely to solve this problem. It was created to solve the problem of generating Digital value. So, Bitcoin in this sense is a neutral store of value. It's a neutral store of value, it's a neutral internet enabled store of value. Internet enabled means that it's always available, that you can transport it to any place on earth in an instant, that is censorship resistant, nobody can kick you out it has full hundred percent financial inclusion which a traditional banking system doesn't have because there's like i don't remember statistics but there's a huge percent of people that don't have access in, in in developing countries uh and even in developed countries that don't have access to banking whether either because they don't have enough money or they have whatever conditions right they have been jail or they just out, they just live in a live in a village whatever um, so it ha- is financially inclusive, and more, more importantly, it is um, temper proof, right? It is, uh, it cannot be manipulated by government, by institution, by individuals, by anybody, because there's a there's a set of computers that's running the code, and I don't want to get to the technical part of it, but there's a lot of people heavily invested that are watching it, and in order to manipulate it, you have to like basically manipulate uh, a lot of more than half of the people at the same time. Um, some people don't believe that it's, a, it's yet like future proof and it's it's 100% certain that it cannot potentially be manipulated. I tend to think that after 12 years and after going having the price appreciation that it has had, um, it's very, very unlikely that, it, that it's going to be manipulated or corrupted in, in some way. So that being said, it's rolling the economy, to be honest, um, Fede, when I was going in this trip, um, and this journey, just learning all this stuff, it, it was quite tough, because uh, there's a lot of things that you know, we don't realize, and they're kind of like dark, sad things about how the economy works. There's a lot of nefarious actors, and there's a lot of like just unfair uh, things that happen and and bitcoin actually gave me hope right so uh, with the with fear of the, with the fear of sounding too too cliche or too or too soft i think it is uh it gave me a lot of hope um that, that there that there's a way out right so it, it i think it plays the role in the economy of of what gold used to play in the past um so people are calling it digital gold why gold? Well, because before we had fiat money, which is like paper money issued by the government, there was there was a gold standard in the world. Actually, all of the world had gold, the metal, as their money. So gold coins. Uh, government took those and gave us papers because gold was heavy to transport and it was hard to take it to another place. It was heavy. It was hard to secure, right? Like, you know, people get to your house. But if you had a paper that said, Um, Alan owns this amount in this bank and Fede owns this amount in this bank. We were able to to transact with the papers. Easy to carry, less heavy, and the sword. The problem was uh, that we are now, like you and I are, are no longer making a direct transaction, but we have a custodian. There's a third party in between you and my transaction that has to validate that I have that money and that is actually holding the thing of value, which was the goal then. In 1971, President Nixon in the US and after the two world wars, we had had an impact on that because the US uh, ended up being victorious on both, which allowed it to seize the gold of a lot of nations. So the US had the most of the most of the gold in the world. And what the thing, the, the couple of portions uh, of gold left by Germany and by the and by England, he, the US asked for them. So once the US had all the gold. They said that the dollar was gonna be the world reserve currency. This was in the 1930s in the Bretton Woods Conference or, or something like that. And um, that was in 1930 and 1971. And between 1930 and 1971, you had the dollar, which was uh, paper money that uh, that said that you had gold in the bank. Um, and you you were actually able to convert, to go to the bank, Give them your dollars and have back and, and have your gold, your physical gold back. That was called gold convertibility. The, the 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 first dollars had at the bottom this this little slogan that said this is worth or whatever an ounce of gold or whatever units of gold. And actually, Dominican peso too. It's called. It says. I think it still says somewhere. Uh, dominican peso dominicano oro dominican. It's yeah. a it photo let, somewhere.
0: Let, let me see. I'm looking at some coins here. And I and I think, yeah, I think if you if you look at it, um, I remember reading that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was the point.
1: <laughs> the point, the point was that that was just a, a voucher, a guarantee that you had gold. But in 1971, President Nixon uh <laughs> they uh, you know the, the Bitcoin community calls this the greatest. Heist in history, he said, uh, Yeah, no more gold. We're not going to convert uh, gold anymore. You're we, stuck with the papers now. And it has been 50 years. And that allowed central banks to print money infinitely because now there was no connection to gold at all. It was just paper. And, you know, we're too distracted uh, to, to think about this stuff because now wherever you know everybody knows that paper is paper and everybody works for the paper but um yeah but like the paper is just paper it just has value because we believe it has value and uh and what i think is hopeful is that uh a lot of a lot of people around the world are starting to believe that bitcoin also has value and and hope and, and that belief is the only thing that backs the U.S. dollar and every other fiat currency, and if that belief that Bitcoin has value, uh, that belief could make Bitcoin very well
0: it'll be the next reserve reserve currency. So you think that Bitcoin could be the gold, the gold standard of the future?
1: Uh, indeed, um, there's a good book by by Saif Dien, uh, a PhD economist. Um, the, book is called, uh, the book is called "The Bitcoin Standard," uh, making um, allusion to the goal, previous gold standard. And, uh, and yeah, there's there's a big there's a big group of us that believe that with this macro environment, with this infinite money printing by governments, uh, Bitcoin is only going to continue to capitulate and appreciate as a store of value, neutral, that is not manipulated, that it's not printing away. And people are going to run to it to hold, to maintain their purchasing power. I'm not speaking about trading, day trading, uh, uh, You know, trying to predict the future. It's going to bounce, it's going to come down this day. So I buy and then I sell, uh, I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about buying it and holding it long-term for your future as a saving, as you do with a savings account. Um, I believe a lot of people are going to continue to do that, and, and therefore, there's going to be a point that um, that it's just going to make sense for it to be the the world reserve currency. It's going to take the place of both. Actually, Hillary Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton yesterday said that you know it's, uh, cryptocurrencies are a a threat to the world reserve status of the of the USD.
0: Man, and I totally agree, just because as time goes by, we've seen people having access to information that they did not have before, thanks to technology and its advancements. So I think, Alan, it's a matter of time, brother, before people actually start understanding that (laughs) the government, they're running on debt, and they're running negative balance sheets, their income statements would make anyone cry when seen but we are still blind so i think that as you said what gives value to bitcoin is people's belief in it so the more people get educated on it the more projects arise the more opportunities start coming up and man you and i we are avid sports followers and more soccer You've seen how many sports teams are being adapted or or not adapted. We're being sponsored by Binance are literally hiring soccer players as brand ambassadors. So I think, man, that they are doing the right thing. I think it is going in the, in the right direction. And I really like the newsletter article that you put up yesterday called the demise of nation, demise of nations. And I think that understanding how incorruptible, Bitcoin is, how much it's gaining acceptance, how it is literally a new way of expanding your assets. I really think, man, that the demise of nations is a real thing where people are every day feeling detached from these government systems that are affecting their purchasing power, that are affecting the way they live. So what what, what are your two cents? Alan on, on the demise of nations. And another thing I would like to touch on later is your newsletter, how I totally recommend people to, to subscribe and to really hear you out because I, I know that the things you write about are because you have learned, you have read a lot of books and you're constantly digging, digging into information that necessarily not a lot of people have the time and perception to dive into. <laughs>
1: totally, thank you. Thank you, Fede. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of information out there. It's, a, it's a, It was a double-edged sword. Uh, the internet gave us all this information, but now it's like harder to parse and to figure out what's actually true. So what I'm doing is that I'm just reading a lot of books, which if you think about it, tend to have a higher density of value information just because the authors take years to write them instead of uh, 10, 15 minutes of YouTube videos that some that some videos tend uh, take to make, uh, and I'm sending out in, in a newsletter. But we'll talk about it later. Um, the demise of nations. Yes, uh, it just goes back to what I was saying uh, before that governments are broke. So governments are broke, and we're and w- soon enough, everybody's going to realize that they're stealing from your savings by devaluing. Cash by printing cash out of nothing and therefore devaluing everybody else's money, and um, and they're stealing basic literally stealing from your bank account. Once people realize that they're going to figure out an alternative, I think that alternative is already here and it's called Bitcoin. Um, little parenthesis here, it's it's for to me at least it's Bitcoin, not cryptocurrencies. Um, and I can speak about more than that, but the only one that's truly decentralized and the only one that's truly guaranteed um, that will not be manipulated by a group um, as of today is uh, is Bitcoin. So once people realize that the government's stealing from their savings account, they're going to jump out and hopefully they're going to jump out either to gold, maybe to real estate, or and potentially a lot of them will jump to Bitcoin. Now the government will have uh, no control of the money supply as it had, as it happened in the 19th century. Um, Another good comparison here is the uh, divorce from between the government and the church in the medieval, in the the middle ages, the the medieval times, feudalism and the sort, the church and the government were basically one, they were intertwined. Now it's no longer the case. up in the Industrial Revolution, and with the with the advent of the printing press, information like written letter became more abundant, and people the people demanded that church be separated from the government. And they now we have um, the ability to believe in whatever religion we want to believe. Right? It's not enforced. The government not no longer enforces beliefs and in in deities as as before. Um, so what we're gonna see is something similar where the money supply, the money is gonna be divorced from the state. Um, And that really brings into question, how, what shape is the government gonna take then once it can no longer run a deficit, once it has to operate as a normal company, once it has to be efficient or go bankrupt? Uh, and it's an interesting question there's this good book it's called the sovereign individual they, they they play with these ideas where where they say that essentially um, it's not going to be like black or white right there's going to be a transition period and this is going to be decades or centuries in which uh sovereignties, they call it it's just like sovereign free independent states are going to pop up in different regions and they're going to they're going to call for 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 people that have the ability to work remotely because they work, uh, you know, digitally, either programming, writing, you know, just, just, the, just the, they are in digital economy. They, they can take advantage of remote work, which is something that we have seen accelerated also in 2020 very rapidly. A lot of people just don't go to the office anymore. So now that you don't go to the office and now that you have, you know, independent money that you can use and spend anywhere and nobody is stealing from your savings so you can actually like move up move up the ladder in the social and socially and financial um, pyramid if we call it Um, you're going to be able to just go wherever you want uh, in the world there's going to be you know if if there is a market if there's a demand for it there's going to be a supply for it and, and people are gonna be able to move, let's say to the middle of the jungle in, in South America, there's gonna be set up a community there and the community there is gonna have a government that's gonna look very different from what we, what we know of a government now. It's gonna be much smaller, it's gonna be much more efficient. And, um, and yeah, I think that uh, you know, the governments are likely gonna change a lot their, sh- their shape in the coming decades.
0: Hopefully man, because it's hard when me as a business owner I have to pay taxes. And I'm like, whoa, I'm really giving my money to not generalizing or, you know, not uh, creating a general stigma around it. But you know that the people handling the taxes that you pay are not necessarily the people that know how to run a business. They don't know the importance of having reserves, of how to prepare for future plans they just you know just this year man i think our government has taken out like 500 million dollars in loans that's a crazy amount of money when you think about it and knowing that we are one of the richest countries in the caribbean we have so many ways to do business in terms of tourism uh trading you know like just so many varieties and so many ways ways that we can generate money but then again we just have people that understand that to do a project, they just ask for the money, they take the loan and that's it, but they don't care about the interest rate. They don't care about of the efficiency of the budget used. It's just like so many aspects of it, man, that I think it's gonna get to a point where people are gonna be so educated that they are not gonna start believing or they're gonna stop believing in the traditional um, government systems. And I think, man, that the more we educate ourselves, the more we grow. That's just it. And I would like to ask you, Alan, not here, but I will ask, I would like for whenever we publish this episode, you give us a list, just if you have recommended many books to me. But your top three books for people that want to know more or get started on their knowledge of the macro economy, and top three books that you've read and you will recommend for people that want to know more about Bitcoin. And I'll make sure that I create um, social media posts, uh, Twitter thread and share it on our newsletter, just because man, this conversation has really been so interesting because obviously we had some scheduled questions, but even the the questions that arose during the conversation, you were able to respond in such a practical way of speaking, not just the bookworm aspect of it, but <laughs> the bookworm plus the the athletic worm the, the worm that has been out there digging holes looking for food actually you know the worm that's out there not just the book hiding behind the book mm-hmm. so um I really like um for me personally um me that I'm planning my um my book shopping in this uh this upcoming Christmas but also for our listeners I think um those books can really help us tap more into your current mindset and going into our last topics, man, tell us a little bit more about your newsletter. Um, why you decided to start your newsletter and what are your future plans? What, what uh, projects do you have going on that you will like to manifest in the podcast? And when you go back and listen to the podcast two, three years down the road, you're like, wow, look at me. When I had just bought a home, when I had just moved down to the DR back again, when I had just started my newsletter, what, um, What's the present holding for you, man? What does the, the future await or what are you trying to create for you in the future?
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pepe. Um, as always, uh, great great to be here. Great to chat with you. Uh, I'll definitely create uh, that list of top threes. Um, and I would encourage anybody that's interested uh, and that has found any, any value in this conversation to, to give me a follow on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to be, I am already, I'm going to continue to be posting a lot about these topics and all the topics that I'm reading and about, and I always post also about books and, and quotes uh, about everything that I'm reading. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, Alan Arvello, just name and last name. Um, for me, um, um, well, and for me, I think uh, I'm, I'm gonna start preparing for that future, fairly I, I have no doubt uh, that that something of this manner that I've described is going to occur, right? I haven't said any specifics because i'm I don't, I'm not a storyteller, I'm not a future teller. I cannot tell the future, but I, I have a good sense and I have a lot of confidence that we're going to go in this direction, right? that Bitcoin is going to continue to up, uh, that governments are going to have a tougher time uh, running deficits, and that the future is going to be continue to be more decentralized. So to prepare for that future, I'm trying to get a couple of software as a service uh, products out there regarding reading and regarding um, reviews of books and regarding um, affiliate marketing. So in that space, I'm building something very cool, and uh, and yeah, uh, just continue to write my newsletter and educate uh, everybody about uh, about these topics. Uh, I, I I write this newsletter. Uh, on what I read, and it's I send it out every every Monday. So if you like to get a deep, deep, deep dive on, on what's actually going on, uh, yeah, you can you can subscribe to my newsletter. It's on my it's on my Twitter profile.
0: Yeah, man, I I can tell you that I was enthralled by by the demise of nations newsletter, but now. After this conversation, it just makes more sense because listening to you have such a such a firm belief in the things you're saying and the things you're doing, man, it just um, motivates me to keep reading, to keep understanding that it's not what you know, it's what you want to know. It's really how you're putting yourself in a position to learn about things because just like you you had very little knowledge of things like Bitcoin, of things like real estate, of things like inflation, and look at you today, actually applying it in your day to day, living your life based on it, and doing the most important thing of knowledge, passing it forward. So, man, right. I I highly appreciate your time. Again, I think this was a very um, knowledgeable and valuable conversation, brother. And I just hope that all the things that that you propose, you you keep doing it and, and we'll make sure to share this in all of our social platforms because I really think that this conversation for those that are already in the Bitcoin world, for those that want to know a little bit more about the economy and those that are really not into any of it but want to hear an inspiring story, man. I think um this conversation really goes down that line, brother. So thank you for your time and and hope that we can have you again as a guest in the future. And whenever you start your podcast, I would love to um, to be a, mm-hmm. a guest and saying that just to motivate you to start it, because I think that people like you really should expand um, the way they share their content. And I think a podcast man would do you really good and more of such the profound ways that you touch these topics. You're not one of those typical social media pages that they just touch on the on the fab of it on the clickbait i think that your content is really professionally expressed so man i hope you hope you really embark on those journeys when you whenever you're ready and feel it right thank you thank you so much for this um, uh,
1: you're definitely i definitely appreciate that you pushing me to to start the podcast and and definitely agree with you right these are complex ideas it took me months or years to to develop them so it's definitely worth it that i um, share them uh, in the most uh, effective way possible so thank you i had a great conversation with you
0: my friend and hope to see you soon of course i'll, I'll see you in punta cana soon <laughs> bye thank, thank you man